Hey, fans, I hope you're all enjoying the program tonight. You will be a weapon. You will be a minister of death praying for war. You're not inside. You are outside, okay? Sir, I heard it was the best, sir. It is the best. The only problem you're going to have is that you didn't buy more. All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the weekly sit rep. Kyle, how was your weekend? Did you uh, did you win your prop bets? No, I didn't. I'm a terrible better. Sucks. Um, but no, it was good. Uh, wife had her 40th birthday party, which me and uh, a friend had been planning. Executed that pretty well. Um, had like a bunch of our friends here in Austin come. It was really cool. Uh, oh, yeah. That sounds sounds great. 40 uh will she, be, will she be mad will she be mad you said uh that number on the on the pod no i think she's come to terms with it it's good so. well you, you guys are both both aging gracefully so yeah it, it happens quicker than you think you know one one minute you're 30 years old in your mba program and the next you know you're hitting 40s and yeah man that's a that's that's program. that was me last year so it is. It is very. It is a very strange feeling to enter enter the the thirties and realize kind of your youth is is over. It's uh, you yeah. know, your your twenties for anyone listening that's still in their twenties is is kind of the the professional period where you're like kind of allowed to ex- like explore, make mistakes, figure out what you're doing, um, without a lot of consequence. I, I feel like people afford a lot of leeway to twenty year olds. Um, yeah. Cross that threshold. You can still mess it up pretty hard in your 30s too and bounce back. So. I mean, there's there's plenty plenty of comeback stories, but uh, it it does feel it does feel weird. Um, so anyway, congrats to you guys making it to 40, uh, with with three beautiful kids. Yeah. So this week we have some uh some interesting stories with uh a new guest. Sunny is unable to come on this week. Um, not sure if I should tell people that this early on so they stop listening because I know he's everyone's uh, favorite portion, but he will be back next week. He has an investor meeting tonight. So uh, good luck to Sonny and congratulations to Actuate on all their success. But we do have another guest. Uh, Gadalia Gillis will be coming on to discuss the coming Israeli offensive in Rafa. Uh, we're also going to be talking about Venezuela's military adventurism in Guyana and uh, some interesting stuff that I think we learned about Guyana this week. Uh, third, we're going to talk about the special counsel findings that came out this week for President Biden. And then we're going to discuss uh, the the tech giants that are trying to, quote, fix San Francisco. So first, we will welcome on Gedalia to talk a little bit about the pending Israeli action in Rafa. All right. Welcome, Gadalia. Thank you so much for coming. Uh want to just jump right in, have you introduce yourself, give us your background, and tell us a little about what you've been doing recently. Sure. So, so yeah, I'm a second year now at Warden. Um, I was, before coming to Warden, I was a company commander in Special Forces. As as you know, uh, you when you hear special forces, that can mean anything. Is basically, I would say, like that sort of mid tier special forces. So I was in an equivalent of like the Rangers back home. Um, in Israel, everyone enlists. So I went in from the beginning, did my training, then became a platoon commander, then a company commander. 
uh, and I was I was doing that until 2018, and then I continued my reserve duty. Once I basic once I came to Warden, I I stopped my reserve duty because you, you you're no longer sort of part of the of the unit because they can't count on you coming for for training. But then October 7th happened and October 9th or 10th, I was on a plane back home already. I would say that back then, those first few days, it was really not clear what was going to happen. In my mind, it was this sort of like World War II vibe happening. And I was sure that I was going to come back without my official role, but within a few days, so many people are going to be killed that I'm going to find myself like general <laughs> um, in some sort oh, of yeah. like saving private Ryan scene. I mean, that, that was the mentality. It was so unprecedented, this attack that, that I felt like I was just going back to who knows what. Um, basically, what I did for the, that month and a half was mainly defensive work. It was a lot of cleaning up on in, in the most sad sense of, the, of, of that word. It was finding bodies, body parts, just sort of figuring it out, um, trying to prepare the ground for, for then the Israel's retaliation. And then at some point I, I came back to water and things were out in control, you know, were in control, not as not as crazy as I thought they would be. And I came back to do, you know, finish up the semester. I did an exam, a few exams, last two weeks of the semester. And then I went back now for my for the for for winter break. I rejoined my reserve unit. Um, we were in Gaza, we were in south of Chanyones, which is southern Gaza, just still north of Ophiach, of Rafa, which you might discuss, but basically looking for these tunnels. So I was doing that for a month. Again, I was not in official capacity, just sort of helping out buddies of mine that were with me in, in my regular service, and they were, they, their offices in this unit, and they said it would be great to have you around. Um, yeah, now I'm finishing off the last semester. I'm not. I'm not planning on going back as if things stand stand for the way they are right now. Like I'm not going back for for some more service. I'm going to continue, um, finishing out business school. But that's basically a little bit about me and a little bit about the past sort of five months. Yeah. Um. Well, I I for one will will say I remember when it when October seventh happened, and you you messaged out asking kind of for. Uh, supplies and and, yeah. and stuff that vets might have you know because vets bringing back all their uh, as we say cif <laughs> gear uh, yeah. maybe maybe they could lend you some because it was all hands on deck and i just remember thinking like like i don't like i don't know what would happen if some if i was going to school you know in in israel or, or italy or wherever and someone said like hey come back home because like like you said yeah. you laugh about it but but i mean it was you laugh about it now but i you, you talked about how harrowing it was and how you kind of went over thinking like, is this it, right? Like, is this, is this going to end? Um, yeah. So, you know, major props to you. I, th I thought that was pretty outstanding when I saw that. Um, and then obviously I, I went to your event that you held and seeing those photos that you showed um, of what Hamas did to, 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 you know, your friends and, and family members in Southern Israel was uh, horrific. I mean, it was, one of the more difficult things I've ever seen. Yeah. And now the war stands, um, you know, the first few days, I think the United States was very, very, you know, they were in solidarity with Israel. There was kind of a yeah. feeling of this is horrific. This was the 9-11, but in greater proportion than would have been as if 30,000 Americans were killed. Yeah. And things have started to shift. And especially now that the war is going into Rafah, 
could you tell us a little little bit about what, what is Rafa? Why are where is the war now, and why does Israel need to continue into Rafa for anyone that says, "Hey, ceasefire now. It's time to lay down our weapons. Israel's gone. Enough. Right. Peace is here." Yeah, um, for sure. So I w- I would start by saying, but just so just so you guys know, like in in Israel, I'm considered like fairly left wing. Like like I was never a Netanyahu fan. Um, you know my politics both on like economics and political so you're really getting from me at least a perspective of someone who's like within Israel considered very much like center um but to your question what seems like what seems like a super right-wing view in the U.S. and Israel's just like basic common sense when you talk about this conflict you have an organization like Hamas who did what they did on October 7th. I think that even Israel was surprised that they, even though it's in their charter and they say that this is what they want to do, they want to massacre all Jews, all Zionists. Um, no one believed that they actually want to do it. I think that's the problem that the Biden administration and Americans in general have right now is that they don't realize that this like Islamic Jihad thing is for real. It's not, they're not kidding about. And I think Israel's, approach was wait if you give Hamas money if you make sure like they have them you know they have what they need then then everything's going to be okay and one of the most striking things when I was in Gaza in south of Hanyonis I was not in a rich neighborhood and the houses were nice like the worst was like a regular house in India when I was backpacking like around northern India so there's a completely false narrative that like the Palestinians are just completely pushed against the wall and they had no choice but to do this. This was a choice. They sacrificed a lot to do it um, because Hamas believes in this Islamic Jihad. And this is what will bring me to, to your question, which is, it's pretty simple. We have a terrorist organization that's saying we did 9-11 and we're going to do it again and again and again. And they're in Rafah as well. Like that's where the, the stronghold is right now. So it's it's almost a childish answer, but the answer is because that's where Hamas are. They're threatening to do this again. And it's like basic self-defense to go in there. There's there's really not much much more to it. There's a lot of operational complications to make it happen to do it correctly. But I have to say that I think that even within the Israeli military, people are surprised on how professional and how successful the IDF has been. Casualties seem super high, but they're actually not high when you think about urban wolf, um, warfare and high-dense warfare. Like, I think the U.S. would have was killed, killed way more civilians if they were acting in the same sort of um, uh, situation. I can tell you about, you know, all sorts of stories that I have about, about how restrictive some of the opening fire laws are within the military, but going to answer... And after this long answer, I'm just going to give you the short answer, which is Hamas are in Rafa. That's the stronghold. They're holding hostages there right now, and they're threatening to redo these attacks again. So it's really no choice. No one really wants to do this. What you have to do. Yeah. Rafa, I'm saying it wrong. Rafa, it's the furthest south, correct? Yeah. So basically, the the way this war has been, has been managed so far has been that Israel started off with like super heavy bombard bombarding of, of the Air Force, which I think sent like a message that we're serious. And then the Israeli military themselves were helping Palestinians 
move from all the other sort of areas of Gaza to the most southern border, Rafah, in, in Hebrew we call it Rafiach. Um, so basically you have a complicated situation because you, you have 1.7 million Gazans who usually are dispersed throughout the whole Gaza Strip now living in these refugee camps and within the city of Rafiach, of Rafah. So for obvious reasons, it's going to be a very complicated operation to manage to um, to operate there without killing too many civilians. Uh, but that's sort of why it has become, this is the last area that the IDF hasn't operated in, in yet. So to make this happen, they are going to have to find some sort of sophisticated evacuation plan of, of allowing the civilians to move back into central northern Gaza so that they can take care of the sort of battalions that are that are there on the southern border. There's another there's another point which is that it seems like quite a few hostages are being held in that area. So just last night Israel successfully managed to release two hostages that were held in the city itself. And again, this is this is where sometimes when you want to be when you when you want to explain Israel's uh, narrative it's so childish that people don't believe you because I was reading in the New York Times about how Israel killed 40 Palestinians or 50 Palestinians in Rafa last night. But it's like literally they were they, the hostages were held by Hamas terrorists in Rafa and like that's the majority of people that were killed. So obviously there's collateral damage of like 10, 15 out of that 40. But when you tell that narrative, it just sounds so stupid. Sometimes the answers, the sort of pro-Israel answers are so simple that it sounds like it must be some sort of propaganda. But that's basically what's going on in Rafa. Wow. It's, yeah. It's like, imagine, I think the, the main thing is like with the US, imagine like there was like some, some city well, I mean, where we, like a hundred yeah. Americans were being held hostage. Would anyone like be even thinking about operate there, not operate there? Like you wouldn't even think twice. Yeah. yeah. I, I always hear these people <laughs> talk about um, you know, I I always hear the death toll. I'm I'm always skeptical because it's like the Palestinian Authority. Like, of course, Hamas is telling us that 26,000 civilians have died. I'm sure there's civilians that have died. Um, and the the narrative that though that comes out, you know, obviously war is hell. This was not initiated by Israel. Um, but the narrative that comes out is that Israel indiscriminately bombs uh Gaza, right? Whether it's Gaza City or Rafa, that when Israel goes in. Um, you know, they, they bomb hospitals, they bomb schools. Um, could you tell us more? You, you talked about the fact that you have very restrictive rules of engagement and yeah. ways of containing. Can you, can you talk a little bit about that to, and, and kind of just answer those people that will say you, that you, you do it indiscriminately, right? That it's. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with an anecdote, um, which is in January when I was in Gaza, we we were like, basically, going through a sort of pre-K first grade type building and you know we're, we're destructive when you go in you go in with fire you're worried that there's going to be someone there and since we know that all civilians are evacuated um, we go in with force so that none of the soldiers get hurt and you get in and you see these like small little chairs and like you see a, a chalkboard with like ABC and you're like oh wow like sort of feel bad like this you know like this isn't what I, I'm trying to, you know, is it what's going on here? And then like within an hour or two, we find this tunnel entrance under the under the swing set 
of this like pre-K first grade um, school. Like this stuff is real. Like when you hear these these claims that that Hamas is just a cynical organization, it's true. It's true. And and that's what's so tough about fighting these proxy wars against these proxy militias. Hezbollah up north in Lebanon, Hamas in Gaza, they don't see themselves as responsible for civilians in any way. Right? They unlike in a way, Iran is the weak link of all of this. Right? What I would like to see is a more forceful alliance with Iran, because Iran sees themselves as the government. They need to care for the civilians. But when you fight against these militias, and I'm sure the U.S. know this from the Taliban. They they see themselves as doing God's work by fighting the infidels. They don't they don't see the, themselves as having responsibility for civilians. And when you're fighting against that type of cynical warfare, it's really hard to then not have to bomb hospitals and schools because they're used as headquarters. Like it's there. We I can't tell you the numerous times where I personally have found um, weapons entrances to to these tunnels sadly in people's homes we found we found uniforms and clothes of abducted israelis we've then sent the clothes to dna testing and we we know who it belonged to and these people went through these houses so i'm not saying at all in any way that like all all people in gaza are a part of it and therefore we're allowed to but just saying is that when you're working against these organizations that are so cynical they don't see themselves as responsible for the civilians in any way, it's really tough because Israel does see itself as responsible. The government sees itself as responsible to protect Israelis and they're up against organization that doesn't see itself responsible for its old civilians. And then the world is basically demanding Israel to be as responsible as it is for its own civilians, for the enemy's civilians. And I think that's just a very tough ask. And then you find these situations where you have to work in these areas. Now, like number-wise, Look, I'm going to go ahead and believe the numbers that are coming out from Hamas. Okay, let's say it's 30, 32,000 Palestinians dead. Obviously, they don't tell you how many of them are Hamas, how many of them are. I think Israel realizes that they're probably a third of them or even closer to 50% are like Hamas, Hamas people. I mean, those numbers are not bad. Like, honestly, like I'm telling you seriously, again, I'm a little bit of a leftist. Like, it pains me that there are civilians and there are children and people who are not involved who are getting killed. But those numbers are not unprecedented. They're part of any urban warfare. They're similar to numbers when the U.S. went into Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, so there's basically just a lot of hypocrisy around Israel. Like we, I mean, we like this. There's a weird obsession. I don't know if it's because it's the Jews. I don't know if it's because like the the world right now has got this like weird affection towards towards these like organizations these terrorist organizations i don't know what it is but like sometimes these the answers are pretty simple like the ratio is not unprecedented at all and and it makes sense because when i know about the rules that i had to when i had to engage in fire the rules i had to follow makes sense that israel is actually keeping to pretty high standard and if israel were were bombing civilians in our left and right then if you looked on the map of Gaza, how dense it is, 2 million civilians, we would have killed way more than 30,000 people within 120 days. So that's, again, my long answer. No, thank you no, for that. It's, I mean, hearing it firsthand is just, I don't know, it just, you know, it's just remarkable to hear. 
Yeah, I think I think that's like one of the things at school that I find very remarkable is that I don't know if Wyatt knows, but like some people just don't talk to me at school anymore. And and like if the, if any of them were like knew what I was up to, they would I think they would be like thanking me and respecting me. Like it's funny how different the perception is of what it means to be a soldier in the IDF and what it means what you were up to and what work you're doing. And like the perception of it and what it actually is like it's mind-boggling for me to have to deal with like that yeah. class different no and yeah i mean you, you yeah, say was... you mean people at school don't talk to you because you're israeli yeah yeah i've i've like little friends who like don't you know don't don't not even that they gave me the cold shoulder like they would walk by me as if i don't exist now because i i rejoined my unit and like and, and I don't think they ha their values are any better than my values. And you have to understand, like, what extreme brainwashing they, like, how how much do they have to demonize Israel and me to not talk to me? Uh, yeah, why, why, why didn't I have talked about, about this, right? And, you know, it's just. These are, these are luxury beliefs, right? I mean, that's, this is, this is, this is, those are the, those are people that that frankly have been so coddled and have such a luxurious nice life that they have the luxury right to believe those things um so i, I you know forget those people um <laughs> frankly right uh, um it's, it's, just, it's just like a little jealous of them you know i mean you've seen it all across universities you know ivy league it's just this insane you know belief that you know, Israelis are colonizers or, you know, it, it, yeah. it's happening to like many different undercurrents of like crazy ideas or like super far left ideas um, in American politics, which are uh, animated for several different reasons. Um, but I mean, they're all wrong. Yeah. But it's, 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 it's terrible. Um, yeah. It's a, you know, when I, you know, I, I, I went to Israel um, when I was in my MBA and um, the the Israeli students that led it, one had been a, a, a special forces Israeli officer. And um, I don't think the other two had been in the military. What doesn't everybody have served in the military? I'm not sure if they'd served in the military. I, I think they had. Probably did, yeah. But, you know, it's just it's super interesting to, like, you know, get their perspective on it and, you know, see the country. And I think until you really, like, understand, it's like, okay, like, the value, right? that the Israel brings to like that part of the world, you know? Yeah. Uh, and like, ha and like why we have such a strong partnership with it. It's just, it's hard. I, I, I can see why the Israeli government is so, you know, the birthright trips. Right. And they want people to come. They want people to see it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think there's not many things in this world that like the perception, the perception of it is so much, so different than the reality um look that's not to say that there's not some like crazy stuff in israel and there's not like people who are like there's small fractions and extremists who believe all sorts of crazy things but in general you know it's like I mean, we have, very, I mean, similar, we have, very similar we have, values yeah i mean same in the in the u.s, crazy <laughs> in the US? yeah exactly there are people uh, in the US saying, like i almost am like you, you you know belong in a mental institution because some <laughs> we, we uh, see them in the comments every day Right. Oh yeah, like I, was, like, I was, like I was just saying, right? And it's like you know, if if somebody's not calling me like a, a far left liberal, somebody's calling me like a crazy right, like, 
person yeah. or if you have just like people who are bananas and they just they don't yeah. Plus, I, I mean i think i think gedalia like you said you'd be the first to criticize the current regime in in israel and mm-hmm. is israel been perfect in its prosecution of the war I, I would bet that you would say absolutely not that's impossible right um yeah. but I mean, my yeah, my friend was over there. Uh, he was an air defense officer in the U.S. Army, and he would recount to me the amount of the the level of difficulty for the Israelis for an airstrike compared to the level of difficulty for the U.S. or for NATO allies for an airstrike. And he said it was seven to eight times harder for the. I mean, you had to have evidence. You had to know that the Hamas militants were there. They had to have been active within a certain time. You had to have told people there to to leave. Uh, the idea, I mean, he said, you know, that he's, he's at HBS now and he's like, I have classmates that say, oh, the IDF just, just shells, right. They just put a mortar and just send it into Gaza. Um, and he's like, these people, like I said, it's luxury beliefs, right. I mean, like you said, how you're, you're jealous of them that they can live in a world where they can give you the cold shoulder. Yeah. I mean, best case it's luxury belief. I mean, obviously sometimes you feel like it really latches onto like really classic anti-Semitism, like. When you think to yourself, like it's you, you some in the way people describe like Israel's or like how the IDF acts, you know, like just genocide, as if like you know, when I think about it, it's like you have to have this sort of underlying idea that like these people just want to like see blood and they want to, you know, like you, you, you go to a regular reserve unit, everyone wants just wants to go home and be with their kids, like no one wants this war, like Israel's a country that wants to innovate. And wants to produce and wants to like no one wants this no one wants this shit like you think we're like like blood like i don't know like hungry it's it's ridiculous Palestinians work in the you know they had at the you know twenty thousand palestinians working in israel all day or something like that through gaza right and they wanted more to come because you know israel's got its own like employment issues right and uh, it's just yeah it's yeah. just like 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 when i when i went there like our, our 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 tour guide was israeli and the bus driver was palestinian right yeah you know you just like and he was telling us, yeah, we, just, we just make it work right he's like he, like nobody's trying to like kill this dude or like you know strangle him you know uh islamic jihad is, is a fucking problem and like yeah. iran iran is a fucking destabilizing issue and i mean i don't you know, it's uh, it's it's tragic because there could be an alliance. It could have been like a strong look. Again, internally, Israel's government right now is not one that I would vote for. But they're not they're unpopular as well right now within Israel. They wouldn't if elections were tomorrow would be very different. Um, but like when it comes to the military and stuff, it's like very pragmatic, very like hardworking. I would say very much aligned with like American. American values as well, but uh, but yeah, like there, there's a, there's a problem in the Middle East, and like the de this de escalation policy that the U.S. have adopted, which also was adopted by Netanyahu, by the way, right? It was this idea that you can semi negotiate and de escalate political situations with terrorist organizations it just doesn't work. So we'll we'll see where this all leads to, but I think that. I think that Israel just has this responsibility right now to show that you can deal with with Hamas, and I know that the world thinks you can. It takes a lot of time. I have to say, like when I was when I was in there in Gaza, I suddenly understood 
why it takes so long to deal with infrastructure and to deal with an organization like Hamas. It really takes way longer than you would think. But I, I think that it was gonna gonna succeed at the end, honestly. The sure. military wise. The problem the problem is the politics. Like what is Netanyahu's vision like for the future on you know in a diplomatic sense? But military yeah. wise, Israel can get the job done in my opinion. Yeah, if, if anyone listening wants to uh really melt their brain, go read about Israeli politics. I I I dove <laughs> yeah. in deep with one of my friends. Uh <laughs> it was wild. Yeah, it's it's like yeah. one of the yeah, it's it's insane. Uh, it is not. It makes our politics look uh, cut and dry, easy. Um, so yeah. it's it's complex, and it really also made me realize like Israel's not some unified state that's like you said, just lusting to like go and and conquer their neighbors. It's incredibly complex. Um, yeah. Seeing seeing the stories you've told has has really. I mean, it was one of the most difficult things I've seen ever uh seeing what you you had to tell us about so yeah, likewise. Um, thank you likewise. yeah thank thank you for doing that and really really grateful you'd come on here and, and talk to us all about that so i know everyone listening will will be grateful um and we'll have you on again to, to talk some more but th- sure. thank you and best best really, of yeah. luck to you and your friends thank really, you and thanks for perspective and th- thank you for coming on and sharing it and we're happy to give a, a spot where you can do it all right i mean appreciate it good sanity check to have people that can speak the same language with (laughs) yeah for sure all right thank you gadalia all right bye guys so thank you again to gadalia it was great um we're now going to jump into another national security related topic with venezuela boosting their military at guyana's border um kyle what do you what do you know about guyana um not much, actually. Um, I, this is kind of the first I'd heard about it. It's, you know, a bunch of small countries you don't, you know, you don't, you don't hear about. But yeah, um, I mean, I've been to South America a couple of times, and my takeaway from visiting that part of the world was, uh, wow, uh, in, interesting part of the world. But no, had not had had not really been tracking this uh, this whole annexation. Yeah. I mean, we all know what's we all know Venezuela is like both a popular punchline in media, right, and like a thorn in America's side, along with Cuba, probably the the two thor- like real foreign policy conundrums that face America, I think. But Guyana, I did not know this. They are, by many accounts, the fastest growing economy in the world. Um, mm-hmm. They're a former British colony. They're the only South American country that has. English as the as the official language, so not a Spanish speaking country, but they sit next to Venezuela and Suriname, kind of on that on that North Atlantic coast of or North Caribbean coast of South America. But they found a bunch of oil 2015. And they have since had an economy that's grown since 2015 at at 50% uh, per year. That, That was as of the last count. So 50% 50% GDP growth per year. They they had, when they found the oil, a country that was 40% uh, impoverished. What happens when a country that's that poor starts growing that fast? Yeah, I mean, unless they're able to, like, I don't know, defense is always such a, a, a thing to prioritize, right? But, you know, especially if you're in a bad neighborhood, like... <laughs> Right, right next to your neighbor is the worst person in south america right 
like yeah like these are these are the guys who if you watch avatar right are like like a lot of the people in the avatar movie who are like soldiers like fought the venezuelans or something so you know james cameron was, was you know trying to predict the future here you know, maybe maybe yeah if you ever if you ever want to watch an interesting youtube video get onto youtube and go watch the tourists that go to venezuela um mm -hmm. there's no americans um You'd, you'd, you'd probably get arrested there by the government, but there's some Russian guys um, yeah. that will go to Venezuela and just kind of like go around. It's a pretty eerie place. Obviously, Venezuela's had a massive outflow of people. Their inflation rate has been somewhere north of 100% for like 10 years, right? Um, it was once one of like the wealthiest countries in the in the Western Hemisphere. Very, very wealthy. Lots of oil reserves. Um, so Hugo Chavez. Bad. Yeah. Yeah, Hugo Chavez took over. Yeah, that dude, I remember that guy. He was a real trip. He would just say the craziest shit. Yeah, he just um, he just nationalized everything. I mean, he just yeah. came in and like took Exxon, took ConocoPhillips. Um, turns out turns out it, it didn't work. And now Maduro is saying he's gonna invade Guyana because they have this insane amount of oil. Uh they're eight hundred thousand people, so small country. They only have three thousand people in their defense force because up until now. There was like nothing to invade. Um, they now have one barrel of oil uh, per person. Oh wow! Uh, per day, it's it's insane. Yeah, they have this in, um, immense amount of oil. Fifty percent GDP growth. They, was, it, was it like unlocked through like fracking or something? Like um, mostly offshore discovery. Exxon discovered it, or an Exxon-led kind of joint venture uh, discovered the oil. Exxon has said that no matter what happens, they're going to continue to go ahead and push ahead but basically maduro started to put troops at this border and he's saying that guyana because of a some treaty alliance there's this area called esequibo in the western part of guyana that venezuela says is theirs because there was an improper uh an improperly executed um land transmittal uh or something about a hundred years ago so this is this is, sounds very putin-esque yeah right? it's, it's like like a like a real bullshit excuse for to like take land yeah this for this my, sounds this sounds familiar right um well i mean it's like rogue rogue you know rogue nations like they always come up with some pretext for an invasion right as a way to justify it and sell it you know and uh yeah I mean, it's terrible. And like he's probably trying to distract from bad economy. It's like when Argentina invaded the Falklands, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very similar. It gets complicated by the fact that Guyana has a military alliance with Brazil. Um, Brazil is an, an enemy of Venezuela. I think most every country in South America is is kind of annoyed with Venezuela. Um, but also Southcom has now said that they're going to start doing exercises both over Guyana and around Guyana. And the question becomes how serious is Maduro and what are the consequences if America allows Maduro to annex half of a country, just basically take the resources. So it gets pretty, it's complicated right now. If, if, if Maduro actually decides to invade and we have exercises, we're doing an alliance, what happens, right? It's kind of the, the election, the election year surprise. Yeah, interesting.
Well, it's just another example of, you know, the United people not being scared of the United States. It's a bad thing. People countries yeah. should be invading each other. This is yeah, right in our backyard. Um, so it it could get very interesting. Um, Maduro continues to say that Guyana is theirs, or Essequibo, this portion of Guyana is theirs. So the the eastern half of uh or the western half, excuse me, of Guyana belongs to Venezuela. Could heat up very soon and very quickly. And it will be yet another foreign policy thorn in Biden's side. Yeah. Could... yeah. Another another invasion that signals world disorder in a you know would be uh would not be good for you know the Biden administration. No. So anyway, keep an eye on Guyana. That's what's happening there. Um, but it, it could turn spicy. Moving next is this this wild special counsel mm -hmm. release that we yeah. just saw. That was uh that was not a good week for Mr. Biden. So basically the way that this special counsel, the reason that it convened is because Classified documents were found at President Biden's Delaware home, similar to Mar-a-Lago. And apparently there was there was quite a few that were top secret, eyes only. Um, it wasn't, you know, like just just a few secret items. It was it was real stuff. And Merrick Garland, the, the attorney general, wanted to make sure it was above board. So he appointed um, a, a special prosecutor by the name of her to or will her to go and investigate. And he investigated and he declined to prosecute. But the reason that he declined to prosecute uh, was the, was the bad piece. And th this was pretty bad. Yeah. It was, you know, the yeah, basically saying that Biden is an elderly, forgetful old man. Right. Saying like what, you know, which is like the common theme that you hear from detractors and even oh, some people in the Democratic Party now, they're basically saying like this guy is too old. It's too old, right? And um, and it isn't. And you know, Democrats will get super pissed about it, and they'll be like, you know, like Trump's only like three years younger or something. And and I, and I don't like Trump at all. But like, I mean, you could. There's definitely a difference between Trump and Biden. it's 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 a huge difference. You watch you watch Trump's stand up routines. Oh yeah, I mean, he's a pretty. I mean, he's a pretty funny, witty guy. I mean, I think he's a, you know a dickhead, but I mean, but yeah, you could like. He's not, he's not, he, you watch, I mean, you watch the press conference that the, the worst part of this was, uh, well, the worst part was the, the report, but the report says, like you said, he's a, he's an elderly forgetful man. And then he, he couldn't recommend that, that he had, uh, that he, that he couldn't recommend charges because a jury probably wouldn't be able to find intent, right? Which is the important thing. Because he's like forgetful. He said that he couldn't remember when he was vice president, said that he couldn't remember when his son died. And then he comes out for a press conference and confused Mexico with Egypt. Well, right? it was it was a very angry, confrontational press conference. It, right? He was and upset. He had given, and I guess the press corps at the White House was given like a 30 minutes notice to get out there and Biden's all pissed, like arguing with him and stuff. And like then, you know, yeah, messes up the, you know, the the name of the you know, Mexican president get, gets all forgetful about what he's talking about. And it's just like, 
you know, listening to the spin the past week is like they've tried out all these, um, you know, uh, surrogates for Biden saying like, yeah, you know, he's fine. He's fine. He's fine. And, you know, it's just the, there was a I was, I was on a plane this weekend and I was I was watching in the seat in front of me. I was on JetBlue and they were watching MSNBC live mm-hmm. and I haven't watched cable news in a while. Um, it all kind of it's all very similar right but this person was watching msnbc and underneath it it said it was a, a joy reed lady and it said biden's age is a superpower not a weakness it's yeah, like joy, joy reed is like the baghdad bob of left yeah you know like, i mean I, so many things that like annoy me about right-wing media and just like how like triggered and they'll, 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 they'll gin anything up into a huge issue like or just lie about it but like Joy Reid is basically like the same thing. The only thing I'll watch on MSNBC is Morning Joe because that's the only grounded show that entire network network yeah, has. Everything yeah. else left wing trash. It was amazing. I mean, I watched and I thought this is this isn't like a, a topic too that you can you can't figure out how to spin someone's age, right? The laws of nature are going to make this worse and more noticeable as a campaign happens. We all know that President Biden had a basement strategy on purpose, right, during 2020, which was brilliant. That was probably the only way he wins was just let Trump say whatever he wants and sit back. And Trump's polls get better the less people see it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, for sure. And that was like visibly reminded when he he said he would encourage Russia to attack NATO countries. Right. Oh, my God, we're about to get fucking like eight months of this. It's going to be which <laughs> no one. The thing is, is like, you know, unless you're like really deep into this, like you and I, like that was overshadowed by the fact that the special prosecutor literally said President Biden's un- unable to uh, stand trial because he's a forgetful old man. Right. You know, you know what I actually think that was bad. You know, what I thought was also it was just super like super shitty was, um, you know, he also didn't do the Super Bowl interview. No. Well, he he did a he did a spot before the game. Did you did you see that? No, I I didn't. But I mean, I'll that, put it like, in the show notes. Okay. He he complained about shrinkflation and he called on. Oh companies. yeah, okay. I, I heard about that. Yeah, it was. Well, it was. I mean, for anyone that doesn't understand, like things are small because it's in a form of inflation, right? Companies don't want to raise prices, so what do they do? They give you less. They. They clean your hotel room every other day, right? Or they so reduce the... So annoying. Yeah, so it's annoying. The alternative is they raise your price, right? I mean, these companies... If companies can charge more, they will. If companies can increase margins, they will. It's not sneaky, right? Inflation is not suddenly some corporate greed. But he came out and he said shrinkflation. I mean, that was his issue that he was going to, uh, you know, call on companies to stop shrinking things. Yeah. Which is... You know, it's like the old man yells at Cloud from The Simpsons. Yeah, so, I mean, that when I when I hear the thing about the age, right? It's like you're the, you're the youngest you're ever going to be today. Age is a one way, you know, process. Um, and everybody, you know, everybody ages at different rates. Whenever when I hear people get all upset about it, like when you talk about it, it's like you can always tell who's like has like a narrative that they want to like or like an agenda that they want you to like push or buy into. And it's always people be like, who, who, who are usually really, 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 really want 
to have Biden or, you know, a, a Democrat president will like talk about this and get a, get all defensive about it, you know? And it's just like, can't we just be like intellectually consistent? I mean, like, yeah. just, like just like, look, if, if, if you guys still have time to nominate another candidate. So I, I actually don't, I actually don't know if I was talking to someone that's, that's pretty in the weeds there. They used to work on the Hill. They're pretty in the weeds and and they were, they were behind, I mean, off the record, they were like, this is really bad. People are very worried. Ignore the whole hype about this being a superpower. People are freaking out. This was this was like a seismic event when when this special counsel released. Um, yeah. But he, yeah. he said that they don't think they do. He said it's it's time it's too far past. There's some technicalities with voting, primary ballot. It's like would be I guess you could always do it. He said you could always do it at the convention, right? Like they'd used to do well, that. Like- that's, that's the thing. Like you could do it at the convention. There's still time to basically like, it would be a super unorthodox and like and- not normal, like primary, but like, you know, cause parties used to, that's where they used to know. That's what they used to do. Right. Yeah. I mean, this was at, the smoke filled rooms, right? right? And I'm like, okay, like you got Gavin Newsom, you've got, What's this Gretchen Whitmer, guy? Andy Bashir from Kentucky, Kentucky. Yeah, you've got Cooper from Illinois. like, like just you, you, it sure so his, his contention his contention was they can't do that um and if, if people know that it's possible like feel free to send a, a message and we'll, and we'll put it up but that that would be so undemocratic right that if you're already pissing off these these people on the far left that basically imposing a candidate would would really alienate so many democrats that you would end up with president trump and it wouldn't be close. So things are things are you know looking like the the, the strategy will definitely be let Trump trip over himself. Oh yeah, yeah. They want they want to rerun the basement strategy. They're not you, Trump and Biden are not going to debate. Like they're just no. like, like like Biden's going to basically just like look. He's just going to say look how crazy this guy is, and Trump's going to go around and you know promise to destroy all his enemies and break up NATO. Yeah, so we'll see. Super we'll see how well the base the basement strategy becomes a, a lot harder to execute. Obviously, are you are you familiar with what happened with President Wilson? Uh, no, I actually not. So, uh, Woodrow Wilson, right, President, like nineteen fifteen to or like nineteen fourteen to nineteen twenty, um, during World War One, right, shortly after, he had a stroke the last year of his presidency or or a year before he exited, had a stroke. And it came out several years later, if not decades later, that he couldn't even speak for the past year of his, pre- last year of his presidency. This was obviously before social media. This was before TV, right? His yeah. wife, Edith Wilson, is, is largely regarded for the last year of his presidency to have been the president, the de facto president. So... <laughs> That was one of the reasons we have the 25th Amendment, which, you know, people have asked, like, can they impeach Biden? You, you can't impeach for being like Biden could could literally be like in a coma. You couldn't impeach. The Congress can't do anything. It's actually kind of a weird feature of the Constitution. So they made the 25th Amendment. Um, uh, also- you know, I, I, I was I was listening to Sirius XM today and they were interviewing some dude. And he was basically talking about, yeah, the 25th Amendment was re- was a result of Wilson. Yeah, it, his wife, it's wild. His wife was literally considered to be the president of the U.S. and he couldn't speak. Um, I mean, nowadays you'd figure that out in like three days. Like Wait, you Instagram. Figure, yeah, you figure it out in like a day. 
Yeah. Something would leak. And so it's, it was also John F. Kennedy was uh, always on painkillers because he had a terrible back issue, which uh, if our audience is vets, we all know about back pain, but he apparently was always on intense painkillers and it changed his state of mind pretty often to the point that people were frequently worried about what would happen if something actually happened between the US and Russia. And they thought if the president is incapacitated because of you know being on painkillers, what do we do? We also have the fact that, you know, previous presidents from Wilson to the the guy that I can't remember his name, but he like got shot at his inauguration, you know, and he like was like in infected for 60 days and then died. So like um, what do we do? Like McKinley or something. It was it was like one of those forgotten presidents between Grant and like Roosevelt that we don't ever study. Um, but yeah, he like was president for like 60 days and he just had an infection and died because um, they, they didn't believe in germs back then. But basically the 25th amendment is the vice president has to trigger. It's a really complicated amendment. The vice president basically goes to the whole cabinet and says like, this guy can't, you know, Woodrow Wilson can't speak. He's obviously can't be president. And then a majority of the cabinet has to recommend to the president pro tempore of the Senate, um, who's not Chuck Schumer. I, I think the president pro tempore is it's like the longest serving majority senator. I don't know who that would be, but whoever that is, they recommended them. And then for like 20 days or like two months or something, there's an acting president, which would be Kamala Harris. And then after that period, the president can repetition and say, I am now good. And then the cabinet has to vote again to basically kick him out. So it's this super prompt, complicated process. Congress can't trigger it. Voters can't trigger it. It's just the cabinet and trying to get the cabinet to all conform and be like, hey, yeah, let's kick the president out. That's not, you know, but they're definitely going to have to address this. It's going to be bad. Yeah. So, I, I, I just, you know, I didn't, I didn't realize that we were, um, that there were um, there were externalities around like hey they couldn't actually do to the convention so they can it's just yeah it's just like think about think about the left progressives <laughs> if they were told like hey by the way you guys are getting this like governor of Kentucky right the the, the like moderate I just, I just I just I just I just like feel you know that when it comes down to a binary choice people will not abstain because they've had the Hillary Clinton experience, right? Yeah. Got them Trump, right? And I just, I feel like, you know, there's just well, no the, way, like far left the, people hate Trump. <laughs> that's the, they hate Trump, right? I mean, that's the, that's what Biden's voting. That's what Biden's banking on is that they hate Trump more than they're worried about the fact that like, I mean, honest, like honestly, as a service member, like, if I had a family member that was serving, like it'd be very worrisome. Someone attacked and our president who will be 86 when he yeah. uh, finished his second term, there was a war. I mean, our commander in chief controls the strategy. Mm -hmm. he, he gives the directive. Right. And if you don't have the commander in chief, it'd be very, very, very chaotic, very fast. That's pretty scary. Like, I mean, having someone that, that yeah, it's a legitimate issue, but it, I mean, welcome to the next eight months, right? It'll only get crazier from here. Oh, uh, yeah. This it, is so shitty. It's all just so bad. Yeah, it was su super damning. Um, all the all the 
it's been interesting seeing you know them try to spin it and everything so i don't know yeah well we'll have plenty more of this over the next eight months uh unless we just tune it out so next topic goes to san francisco where the fight is not between republicans and democrats but between democrats and democrats and it's titled tech tries to fix san francisco is in the sunday saturday edition of the wall street journal yeah and yeah talking about how some tech giants and their founders are trying to make changes across i've I've actually been wondering when this would happen for like several years now because uh you know you have all these people who live in san francisco and you know are wealthy and you know like the area and stuff and the city you know has had just i mean the city's always had a bunch of issues but lately it's you know the issues have gotten a lot worse too and and it's like at some point you know like how far can you push people until they basically push back and demonize them right demonize wealthy people and and, you know san francisco's got a lot like the the inequality there right it's obviously like so it's off the charts i mean it's crazy, but there's also like underlying systematic issues other than just, hey, the rich people are ruining it, right? It's the, you know, lack of housing, regulations, crazy, you know. Well, it, it's, <laughs> it's gotten a lot worse recently because, I mean, you, I, I think you saw the pushback when Chesa Boudin, right? Chesa Boudin, yeah. he was the, the district attorney, for those that aren't familiar, uh, in San Francisco. So he was the guy that, you know, if you're a police officer, you arrest someone, you bring them in, the district attorney can decide to just not prosecute, right? And Chesa Boudin ran, and basically everyone said, this guy's this guy doesn't mean what he says. You know, he's he just says things because it's in his campaign. And he had a campaign spot where his, his parents were terrorists that blew up a, a, like an academic research facility in the 70s or 80s, uh, the Weather Underground. Oh yeah, and they killed they killed someone, right? So they were in prison for basically like his entire life because they they murdered people, and he said that that was a you know formative experience. And he doesn't think anyone's parents or anyone should ever have to visit their parents in jail. And people were like, oh, he, he doesn't actually mean that, right? I mean, he he's just saying it because you know he's trying to get votes. Then he got into office and he basically just refused to prosecute most things, and he was pretty soundly defeated in a recall election and he he claimed that the conservative billionaires were out to get him and that they executed this plot which if it's that easy for conservative billionaires to figure out how to defeat someone i don't know how they don't just win every election so yeah this guy i think was an extreme example looking at his uh all the schools he attended right i'm like jesus christ why do we like these schools, like these schools, just pump out crazy people, both on the left and the right now. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, like he went to like Yale Law School, of course. <laughs> um, but yeah, but anyway, I mean, yeah. So like, you have all these tech, you know, all these rich people, all these tech execs. Like, I think the guy quoted in the article, Gary Tan, who's like super big. Like, was he Y Y Combinator founder? He was the Y Com. He's founder of Y Combinator, kind of he's in he's in the you know the tech hive mind right he's kind of he's he's he's, he's ever present 
Yeah, and he, he basically even like organizing like, hey, like we need to take the city back. The city's gone too far, right? There's like too much crazy stuff. Local government, you know, and like I'm I'm just not surprised it's happening, right? Like I in in like full a big piece of this was the school stuff too. I mean, oh, the, the, school, the school, school board, school, school board school issues. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get rid of algebra. Like, yeah, school. they got rid of algebra in middle school, and he's like, hey, maybe maybe teach math. Um, did you see what he said on his? on his post on Twitter? Uh, no, I did not. He said, uh, the progressive members of the board are a mother effing crew. Die slow, motherfuckers. He added rattling out each of their names. And then he said, it. you know, he, he deleted a tweet and said he was referencing a rap song. Um, you know, it's, it's you know, people get frustrated, right? And, you know, San Francisco has always been kind of a basket case for many years, you know, decades even, right? And uh, it's just interesting to find, like, see, there's, like, so much money in it now, and a lot of the city's problems could be fixed if they did have less crazy government. Like, you think about, like, New York, right? New York was a basket case for years. It was Gotham. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was literally, like, where the whole fucking Batman thing comes from was, like, New York, right? It's like... Yeah. There used to be... um Gosh, I remember like one time I saw this thing and it was like on one part of Manhattan there this there was just like this area where people would just like dump cars into the river and everything. <laughs> and like my buddy, my West Point, one of my West Point classmates, his dad, who's worked in the city for like 40 or 40 or 50 years, right? You know, he like working as like a young attorney there was just saying you would, you know, when the city was like super bad, you'd literally hear like there'd be like buildings, like burnt out buildings and like just homeless crazy people everywhere and like just like yeah, the, yeah, the violence like, the like violence was like 10 times higher than it is now yeah and uh and you know you think about it it's like okay at, at what point you know would i mean san francisco obviously isn't like that right but it has like problems that are just equally as bad when it comes like when i went there you know like a, a few months ago I was like, yeah, beautiful city, multicultural, a lot of good food. Oh, yeah. But it's just like you see, you know, just homeless people everywhere. You know, stores have like all these crazy, like they, everything's locked up. Like, like, like the big thing is they, they wouldn't prosecute for like uh, what theft under like a thousand yeah. bucks. Yeah, it's like under a thousand bucks, public nuisance stuff. I mean, Jesse Boudin was just very lenient, even stuff over that. He just was very lenient, right? And And then you had these school boards that, during covid when people were trying to figure out how to modify learning how to get, get kids back in school they like tried to rename an abraham lincoln a name school oh yeah yeah it was crazy just when just stuff it, that was that it was racist and you're like like this is literally like the the not the and not what's the point i mean kids were trying to figure out how to get back to school we were trying to modify curriculum and they were renaming Abraham Lincoln Elementary. It was this is actually one reason I left Chicago when COVID started, because I was like, this, this, the, the teachers union is going to take it too far, and they did, and they like they kept kids like out of school forever, like super long, and uh, they even tried to shut down like private like Catholic schools. They basically, oh, you can't open. Like they basically like, held them hostage, and I, I tell my wife this, she just won't won't believe it. You know, but yeah, I mean, like when you start messing with the schools and like parents start to like really get annoyed, you yeah. know, that's that's I, I think that's where when you see pushback like this, this is this is one of the, the parts of it where it. um. Where, where so it here's comes. here's a crazy just kind of going back. I looked this up. 
New York, New York violent crime rate per hundred thousand people. Okay. Today or in, in 2019, that's how far these go. In 2019, it was 358 per 100,000, right? Yeah. In 1981, it was 1,069. So it was 10, it was three times as high in 1989 as it is today. Uh, wow. It was it was really bad. But, uh, you know, San Francisco, I, I don't want people listening to be like, oh, these, you know, it's why i lives in philly which uh, there was literally a shooting outside of my apartment and we live in the nicest area of philadelphia as in rittenhouse square uh, there's literally a shooting outside of my apartment on friday uh, you live in austin i don't want people to be like oh they don't go to you know these guys they're just you know dumping on san francisco it's a nice place i mean you can still go there and like and and see a lot of beauty but um they're currently trying these tech giants. What they're trying to do is, is fix San Francisco through some very pointed ballot measures and very pointed specific policy recommendations for the community. So trying to get money behind getting people to, to vote on very local issues. Some of them are modernizing the police force, allowing the police force to expand without proportionally raising taxes. So previously the, the board of supervisors, which is like the city council, they had limited the the size of the police force, basically saying that unless you hike up taxes, we're, we're going to keep the police force so low that it's ineffective. So they're, they're basically saying we need to be able to, to expand the police force and then returning algebra to schools, middle schools. I mean, like the fact, it's like idiocracy when you have to vote on returning algebra to, to middle school. I mean, when it's just like everything, you know, just like partisan agendas are just so extreme now, right? Like you can't, you know, it's like the French Revolution, right? Like it just it, it just becomes more and more extreme and it eats itself. And like there's no like common sense. Um, you know, yeah. Anyway. So I, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah the, I mean the funny thing is these board of supervisors, London Breed is the mayor's name, and mayor's very much a democrat a, a pretty far left liberal and the board of supervisors says that the, the mayor is too far to the right and, and claiming again that conservatives are are behind all this when i mean if anyone has never been to san francisco there's i don't, I don't i'm not sure how many conservatives even exist uh in total this is like a liberal you know these are like not far left liberals fighting against far left liberal and it's just it's mind boggling that it's like these leftists, like you said, it's the French Revolution. Anything that's to the left of them is is too left. Yeah. There's not left enough, right? Um, also, remote work is, is Google. What's remote work like? I mean, you 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 go to the office how often? What's like what's what's it's, the state of things? It's three days a week. And is that up? Uh, what do you mean? Like by a year that? ago? Like is that is that an increase from like a year or two ago? Yeah 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 they so, uh, yeah they it, it used to be it was like they were like encouraging people and now they're just like hey you, you should be in three days a week so it's it's kind of a chicken egg thing mm -hmm. uh i think because there's a lot of people that left the city and because they left the city the city you know tax-based downgraded yeah, you know, like, like, like you have all these you know like tech has my i mean like yeah you know tech has a lot of tech workers have migrated out of San Francisco and, you know, they're kind of like Austin, all, a bunch of these other spots. Right. You know, but there's still a lot of tech in San Francisco. Like I, I oh, was, you, know, you know, but yeah, but there really, are like, 
yeah but when you walk downtown you do see a lot of empty buildings right and and you know it's like okay like that is a threat to a lot of things right property values property taxes you know people don't want to move somewhere where it doesn't feel safe or vibrant you know so i mean i i I don't know the the city's going through like a tough time right now and uh you know maybe so it's it's a shrinking real estate market right now so according to redfin like real estate you know company that helps with valuations and stuff uh december 2023 san francisco home prices were down 6.7 percent compared to december 2022 yeah median price mind you is still 1.2 million which is insane yeah i mean Um, it's i mean it's still not a cheap market at all no just show you that it has like there's been enough people who are like i'm not doing this anymore and they just they've left yeah. So I mean down down six point seven percent though. That's huge. Year over year to have a six point seven percent shrinkage. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind of a chicken and egg. You know, I think a lot of these companies are they realize that unless they get people that back into the city that care, that want to improve things, that it's gonna be very difficult to, you know, to to fix things. We'll see what happens. I think a lot of people listening probably either work in San Francisco or it's a very, I mean, here at Wharton, basically, it's New York or San Francisco is probably oh, yeah. 75 or 80% of my classmates. Oh, yeah. I had so many people go to San Francisco or, you know, California is beautiful, right? A lot of opportunity there. So many tech companies with headquarters. Yeah. And it, 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 it is. I mean, my, my friend that's at Y Combinator right now, he posted a video of him like running on this like beautiful boardwalk at, you know, 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. It, it looked nice. I mean, it's not like a dystopian city. It's just, down from where it was people are leaving you know markets don't lie the fact that that real estate's down 6.7 percent indicates that people would rather leave than 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 come and stay yeah i you know i i as someone who lived in chicago for a few years right you'd often hear like how can you live there at the shithole and it's like it was fine right and i'm sure if like i lived in san francisco like 98 percent of my time would be okay and you know i probably have you know, pretty crazy encounters the other 2% of the time, you know? So it's just, yeah. I live in Philly with the other, the other insane DA who they tried to recall and he lost by like 1%. Um, And it's, it's like, I mean, you know, we were talking to our our friend, uh, Sarah, who had gone here, uh, you know, pre COVID and she just COVID hit and Krasner came in and things are a lot different now. So Philly, same way. I mean, I, my, my wife always says like, we love Wharton. Like we've had a great time here, but man, like we're not looking to stay in downtown Philly. I've so, never myself Philadelphia. That's that's where it's at. Like, <laughs> um, Eagles fans say that. Uh, yeah, not I'm, I'm not an Eagles hater, but I'm not necessarily an Eagles fan. Uh, I'm like Eagles mm-hmm. neutral. So the uh, Eagles, any Eagles fan is listening is probably just yeah. I'm Eagles agnostic. Yeah. So yeah. anyway, anyway, we're gonna watch with bated breath what happens. Maybe these kids can get algebra back in the school. Um, I mean, I think it'd be interesting, right? Like, I, it'd be it'd be interesting to see if they could actually, like, you know, get like Giuliani in there that would, you know, clean the city up. But yeah, you know, like I said, San yeah. Francisco's been like a a, a nut. A, a you want there's there's Kyle. Kyle has just gone on record asking for Giuliani. Um, no, I said a Giuliani-like figure, <laughs> pre 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 insanity. 
I know. I'm just, I'm just giving you a hard time. It's, I, th I think that's the first time in a long time that you've uh, spoken at all positively about Giuliani. Um, although it's, it is true, he was a different man. So that's that's the that's that's the uh, the wrap for our current event items this week. Um, Kyle, you you correctly picked the Chiefs. I picked the Chiefs. Um, you you didn't win your bets though. Um, no. Shitty prop bets normally, you know, don't pan out. And uh, what's what's the plan for the rest of the week? Any any exciting stuff? No work. It's got work. It's my life. Work and kids. Um, do you you uh you've gone in the past up to Tepper to do NBA recruiting? What's the vibe in Austin generally at, at, at Google and places kind of towards NBA hiring? I mean, they're still doing it. Like, but I think it's, um, yeah, I think it's, it's like just the tech scene has slowed down in general. I know you sent me that like uh, Wharton MBA employment report or like state of like the economy or something. And I was reading it. Yeah. Like, state of the state of the job market. And I was like, yeah, this, this, this seems pretty in line. I mean, it's still occurring, right? It's just, I think text does just in time hiring for like MBAs. And so I, uh, I don't know, but like, to be honest, like, I don't, at, at the level like that I work at, I don't really work that much with like, and M- like, M- like new. Yeah. Do you do you ever have MBAs that come and work for you? No, like I don't really work. Like most of the people I work with are all experienced folks. Okay. So. Yeah. Well, best of luck to anyone out there trying to get a job at Google. Um, Kyle will tell you it's a it's a long process for anyone that wants to work in tech. It's not a one one interview and you're done. So yeah. to those, if it, if it is, you should be concerned. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So to anyone, to anyone going through the battle, uh, yeah, same, same thing for like Amazon. I mean, these companies will, will make sure that you are the right fit and yeah, small, small, small startups. Uh, it might actually be one interview or no interviews. I've, I've seen classmates get the jobs that way, but mm-hmm. Google, Amazon, Apple, I mean, they can be extremely selective. So yeah, yeah they can have, they have long interview loops, right? And they're usually pretty competitive. So yeah, but, but yeah, I work here, so you know, it's not impossible. <laughs> yeah, people people do get jobs. Um, yeah, Wharton, uh, Wharton, unlike HBS, had ninety seven percent of people uh, three months after I, graduation. I, I, I think this is because HBS people are just feel like they they can be super picky yeah i think that's probably true hbs was 86 percent. stanford was 89 percent. mit 90 percent. kellogg 94 percent. booth 96 wharton 97 columbia did not report so who knows what that means could be good could be bad um but yeah just in time hiring so for anyone that is listening that doesn't have an mba basically means you are being hired by a company that wants you to work then most companies don't have the ability to forecast hiring six months in advance or like consulting in banks two years in advance. So they will hire you and ask you to come to work two weeks later. The The downside of that for MBA students is you're left looking for a job probably until May or June because yeah, I, mean, I, I knew people who were recruiting still like up until graduation. And I was like, Oh, that sucks. But you know, then I had to go work in consulting that sucks. So maybe maybe they had better better work life balance than I did. 
Some someone said that the uh the happiest classmates were the people that got their jobs in May. So that was a, a grad that came. Could definitely um probably talk about that more, right? You know, there's nothing wrong yeah. with being picky when especially when you have the ability to be picky. So yeah, when you're a vet that's not not in debt when you leave. A lot of people have to worry about how they're gonna fund their thousand dollar a month student loan debt. Oh yeah. That's that's for the most part. Or, or a visa, like an H one B visa. But yeah. Yeah, you have three months after you graduate from school, generally. So that's that's a worry. Yeah. So be grateful, vets. You have an an, an incredibly fortunate position to be in. I know it's it's shocking sometimes. People just are like, "What am I going to do with I got a family?" And I'm like, "Dude, like it's okay." I I have. I mean, I hang out with a lot of people here. I'm married. I hang out with a lot of people that are married and have kids. There's families here that have three kids, mm. and they're not vets and one of them's about to do a search fund so you know oh, if you tell me yeah so good luck to jimmy uh if he's if he's listening your wife is being um extraordinarily patient with you oh she is she's a saint so um yeah i'm sure jimmy will crush it so if anyone has if anyone has one good business to buy to buy uh let let jimmy gillespie know and yeah. uh anyway kyle anything else before we sign off uh no um well i like actually yeah a couple you know everybody's still listening at this point <laughs> we're at, we're you know we're doing more stuff on youtube you know more content's coming out wide's doing a great job on the website there's more sit rep stuff coming so be on be on the lookout for that should probably say all that stuff at the beginning of the, the podcast we'll, we'll we'll hit that next week to all the loyal listeners yeah go check out go subscribe to youtube so um anyway Talk to you next week, Kyle. Yep, sounds good. Have a good one. And I'm not talking about some $400,000 a year working Wall Street stiff flying first class and being comfortable. I'm talking about liquid. Rich enough to have your own jet. Rich enough not to waste time.